One of the things that we see in the Gospel of Luke is his prayer life. He was always sneaking away to be alone and to pray. He would minister all day long, then stay up all night and pray. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed before calling his disciples. He prayed at his trial. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but your will be done. He prayed on the cross. It's not a surprise that the disciples would ask the question, Lord, teach us to pray. I think that this is the greatest prayer that we can pray. We think about all of the things that we ask of God. The greatest thing that we could ask of God is to pray. The disciples saw the amazing fellowship that Jesus had with the Father. They see how he loved to spend time in his presence, and they say, I've got to learn that. I've got to learn to pray. So this section of scripture has been called the Lord's Prayer, but really it's the disciples' prayer, and the reason is because Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. Verse 1 of chapter 11, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples, as he was praying. So it's another one of those times where, where Jesus is alone praying, the disciples find him, and they then give this request, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Some things are more caught than taught. When you see something modeled over and over again, you go, man, I want to learn that. I was fortunate to grow up in a Christian family, and my mom really has a heart for prayer. And she never necessarily said, hey, this is how to pray or you should pray. She simply modeled prayer. I can be, remember before even school age, that drop off my brother at school and my mom's friend would hop into the passenger seat of the Ford Fairmont station wagon and they would pray together for a while and I was stuck in the back seat, you know. It's like mom's just like, Eric can listen and we're going to pray, you know. A lot of times where she was just seeking the Lord, sometimes she'd cook us a meal and then she wouldn't eat. I thought that was the strangest thing as a young kid. Like, why would you cook a meal and not eat it? And she was fasting and praying. She'd spend time fasting and praying, going for a walk. And we knew what she was doing over time. You know, she didn't have to explain it to us. But, but ultimately that led in my life a, a hunger and a desire for prayer, just seeing her model it. And Jesus is modeling prayer for the disciples to the point that they want to learn to pray. Also, John the Baptist, he saw the importance of prayer, and he taught his disciples how to pray. Notice it says this, Lord, teach us to pray, not necessarily teach us how to pray. Oftentimes we assume that this reads, Lord, teach us how to pray, but they were simply wanting to be stirred to have the priority of prayer in a greater way in their life. Would you agree that we're currently living in some really crazy times? Right here in Colorado Springs, in this, this beautiful location. There's a lot of stress happening economically and inflation and the stock market. There's a lot of tension that's happening politically. Uh, there's a lot of violence that's taking place in, in our community. There's a lot of darkness uh, here. I, I learned just this week, and this surprised me, that we have the highest number of teens, ratio of teens, that are incarcerated than any other county throughout Colorado. Like We have some issues in Colorado Springs that are absolutely heartbreaking. It was a week after the Club Q shooting, and some pastors and I, we met here in, in this region, and we were just talking and praying together, and, and this was our big takeaway. 
that the city is facing problems that are bigger than we have answers as pastors. Like, there is not human answers for the problems that are taking place in the city. And we agreed that we really need to be spending more time in prayer. And specifically, spending time in prayer uh, together. So we have some times where senior pastors get together throughout the year. And we're going to dedicate those times to pray. We need it. Our city needs it. As a community, we're facing things that we can't solve. Let's cry out in prayer. But also, you may be experiencing this in your life. You're like, there's just things that I can't solve in my family. There's things inside of me that I can't solve. There are these struggles with sin that I cannot get through. I can't seem to shake this depression and discouragement that I'm feeling. For us to pray, to to cry out to the Lord in prayer. And God hears our prayers and he wants us to humble ourselves and to pray. So for us, if we take this as the disciples and say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? What if that was our anthem going into 2023? Lord, I just want to grow in my prayer life. I want to humble myself before you, cry out uh, to you. In verse 2, so he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. I don't think that you have to take this prayer uh, and necessarily memorize it and say it word for word, though that's helpful, though you can. If you want to take this prayer and memorize it and say it from your heart, absolutely. But what Jesus is teaching is for us to take these principles and to incorporate them into our prayer life. And where he begins, saying, when you start your prayer, this is how you should start. Our Father, which art in heaven. As you study the scriptures and you look at the Old Testament, the children of Israel would address God as Lord, his power. And it's definitely appropriate to address God as Lord. He is Lord. But Jesus instructs us to address him as Father. You're entering into this amazing relationship with your heavenly Father. Our Father, which art in heaven. This was the mission of Christ, was to bring us into relationship with God, where he is our Father. You've heard me share this before, but when Christ rose from the dead, he revealed himself to Mary Magdalene, and he was then hugged by Mary Magdalene. She's clinging to him. He says, don't cling to me. I must go to my father and your father. What changed in the New Testament with the blood of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, that we're the adopted children of God. Romans tells us that we're to cry out to God as Abba, Father, Daddy. Now, how strange does that feel? Like, if you were to start off your prayers, like, Daddy, how's it going, Dad? Father, how are you? I remember in my first several years of pastoring, I would start off all of my prayers with Lord, and a guy came up to me after service, and he said, why don't you start off your prayers with Father? And I hadn't really ever thought about it. And then I dug into that a little bit deeper, and it was strange for me. It was strange for me to address God as Father. It didn't feel, feel comfortable. And God's been gracious to take me deeper into that understanding. Let me encourage you with this this morning. It doesn't matter who your earthly Father is. That doesn't prevent you from pressing into your Heavenly Father. The best earthly Father can't even compare to the Heavenly Father. So all of us have different dads and different experiences with dads. You may not even know your dad, but it would be a huge mistake, and I think you would agree, to project upon your heavenly father through the lens of your earthly father. 
Your earthly father is not your, your heavenly father. You have a heavenly father who loves you perfectly. And when we go to spend time in prayer, it's crying out, our father, our, our father. Then to remember that he is in heaven. That's the location from which God sees. He's seated upon his throne. This is Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? If we start our prayers this way, of focusing on our relationship with God, who he is and his love for us, and also focusing on the fact that God's in heaven, all of a sudden my problems are in a different perspective, aren't they? All of a sudden, I realize, okay, God can handle these difficulties that I'm bringing to him. Hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? It means to be set apart. It's literally that there's no one like God. That he is completely set apart. Name means his character or his nature, who God is. That he's holy, that he's gracious, that he's kind, that he's long-suffering. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's no one like you. And thanking God for some of his characteristics and some of his attributes. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. This is in prayer, putting God's kingdom before our own. We each can try to advance our own kingdom. Our selfish nature is very strong. The kingdoms of this world tend to be attractive to us. And this is that reminder. This is that Submission, Lord, your kingdom come. I desire for your kingdom to come in my life, in my family. Lord, for those that don't know you, for your kingdom to come in Colorado Springs, for your kingdom to come throughout the world and, and begin to desire for those to be lost, to be found, to trust and know Christ as their Savior. It's aligning ourselves up with God's priorities. It's aligning ourselves up with his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is submitting our will to his will. And sometimes there's a wrestling of wills, isn't there? There's a battle of will. As we're starting this day, December 11th, say, Lord, I want your will in my life today. Your will be done as it is in heaven here on earth. Jesus, as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he laid down his will. It's a fascinating portion of scripture. It says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus in his humanity didn't want to go to the suffering of the cross, but he was willing to lay down his will for the will of the Father. Is that where you're at this morning? Is that what you're going through? Is there some way where we're wrestling with God's will? To be able to say, Lord, your will be done. So this is daily in our lives. We go on, give us this day by day our daily bread. Give us day by day our daily bread. Have you ever had this thought that it's wrong to bring your needs before the Lord? Have you ever had someone tell you, well, it's selfish for you to pray for your, yourself or to pray for needs that are going on in your family? Well, I want you to underline this verse and just open them up to Luke chapter 11. Say, look, God wants us to bring our needs before him. Day by day, our daily bread. God's a God of daily bread. A lot of times we want provision and answers 
for a whole entire year. God, just lay out all the provision for all of 2023. Or while you're at it, let's just do a decade. Can you just do a decade? Or could you just write a check between now and when I go home to, to be with the Lord? What would happen if God gave us our physical, emotional, spiritual provision all at once for the rest of our lives? We probably wouldn't check in with them again, would we? Unfortunately, we'd be like, thanks, all taken care of, so now I'm going to move on with my life. But for God to give us daily provision causes us to continue to go to him for our needs. The children of Israel are in the wilderness, and God provided manna every day. Except for the Sabbath, they could gather extra the day before. Day by day, every day, there was manna from heaven that God gave to them. He didn't provide it for a week. He didn't provide it for a month. It was every day. So let's simplify this a little bit this morning. What are your needs today? Not necessarily your wants, but what are your needs today? What are the physical needs? What are the spiritual needs? What are the emotional needs? Bring that before the Lord. God, would you give us strength in this way? Would you give us wisdom in this way? We really need provision in this way. God already knows what we need, but this is the beauty of relationship. This is the father, child, adopted kids perspective, is he wants us to bring our needs to him. And prayer really identifies the issue of humility. Pride says, I've got this. Pride says, I don't need to go before the Lord for, for anything in my life. If I am prayerless in my life, that's identifying pride. I may not realize it, but I'm communicating to God, I've got this. But prayer is humility. It takes prayer to get saved, doesn't it? It's faith where you're calling out to God in prayer, asking him to save you. And God wants us to continue in humility. So you could get frustrated with God, going, God, will you already know the needs that I have? Why should I have to ask? But God wants us to be in relationship with him, to humble ourselves. Lord, would you give us today our daily bread? In verse 4, and forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. We're not asking for forgiveness because we've lost our salvation. Aren't you so thankful as believers that when we sin, we don't lose our salvation? We'd always have to get resaved if that were the case. How many times have you trusted Christ? Well, I have to do that every day, right? Now, thankfully, when we trust the gospel, we're saved, we're, we're born again. So why would we ask for forgiveness of sin? Because it's clouding our relationship with God. Husbands and wives, ever sin against each other? Gets a little bit frosty, doesn't it? Parents ever sin against your kids? Ever have your kids sin against you? What happens when that's not dealt with? What happens when there's not reconciliation? Well, hopefully you're still married, right? Your kids are still your kids, but there is something missing in the relationship until there's confession. Hey, would you forgive me? I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have said that. That was really insensitive, and I could tell that I hurt you, and I, I own that. Would you please forgive me? And forgiveness is extended. Hey, would you forgive dad? I lost my temper. I shouldn't have lost my temper. Raised my voice at you. Would you forgive me? And it's amazing how God works in the midst of that, doesn't he? But if we don't, if we get a hard heart and we're not willing to confess our sin, then yeah, 
the relationship's going to have something missing for sure. And the same in our relationship with God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess means to agree with God. When we agree with God, Lord, would you forgive me for this pride? Would you forgive me for this lust or this anger, or this covetousness? He's ready. He's ready to come and cleanse us and to forgive us, to restore that closeness of relationship. And 1 John chapter 1 is all about fellowship with God and fellowship in the light. So God wants us keeping, keeping short's accounts with him. To go through our, our prayer life on a regular basis and be in the habit of asking for forgiveness and receiving his forgiveness. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. As we receive God's forgiveness, we extend God's forgiveness. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ Jesus forgave you. Who is it in your life that you need to forgive? We will have plenty of material for both of these categories, where we need God's forgiveness and we need to extend forgiveness. Sometimes holidays can highlight broken relationships and even bring up past bitterness. This friend has, has really hurt me. This, this family member has abandoned me. To be able to say, no, I'm choosing to forgive. I'm extending the forgiveness that God has extended to me. And do not lead us into temptation. God doesn't tempt us. James tells us we're drawn away and tempted by our own evil desires. What this is, is asking God's protection from temptation. God, you know me. You know my heart. You know my weaknesses. Would you help me? Would you protect me? Protect me from my flesh. Protect me from the influences of this world. The lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and, and the pride of life. But deliver us from the evil one. There's a real battle, isn't there? There's a real enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 highlights that spiritual battle. And say, Lord, would you protect me from the enemy? Would you protect my family, my church from the enemy? Deliver us from the evil one. We complicate prayer a lot of times. Do you feel that pressure in your prayer life for it to be meaningful? It needs to be 90 minutes. Like, if it's not 90 minutes or if I don't fast and pray, then I must have a, a lousy prayer life. This example of prayer is a little bit over 60 words. It's a little bit over 60 words. Jesus doesn't make it complicated. It's more about your heart than how long you pray or how many minutes you pray or having just the right words uh, to pray. Don't complicate it. Make it simple and to cry out but before the Lord and to humble ourselves before the Lord. Jesus gives another example of prayers. He's continuing this teaching on prayer. And he said to them, which of you have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on this journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. 
Oftentimes, Jesus loves to teach through contrast. So he's showing us a bad example to show us what a wonderful example he is. He says, you've got a friend that comes and asks you for three loaves of bread at midnight because he has a surprise guest. I think this is something that we've kind of lost in our culture. I remember in my small hometown in, in Southern Oregon, we had a couple of neighbors that we were close to, and my parents, if they were cooking and they were out of something, they would call the neighbor. Say, hey, do you have a couple of eggs? Can I, can I use a couple of eggs? And then they'd send my brother and I over to go grab, grab some eggs. Those days are gone. Could you imagine texting your neighbor and saying, hey, do you have a few eggs so, so I don't have to run to the store? But that's the idea here, right? Is I, I need some bread, goes to the neighbor's house, and the neighbor gives the bread not because he wants to, but because if he's going to get any sleep, he's going to provide the bread. So he's like, here's the bread, get out of my hair so I can go back to sleep. Now the wrong interpretation of this is to think, well, God's annoyed with your prayers. And if you annoy him enough, he's going to answer your prayer. This is, if a neighbor is willing to give that's annoyed, how much more so is a heavenly father willing to respond to your prayers who loves you? God's calling us to be persistent in our prayers. This neighbor that's coming is being persistent, and God wants us being persistent. In verse 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. First, we have to understand what we just learned about prayer, that prayer is about God's will, not ours. So if you just took verses 9 and 10, you might build a theology that says, well, I get anything that I want from God. And is that the intent of prayer? Does God just become a genie in the sky where if we have enough faith and we're persistent enough, then he's going to give us what we want? No, we want his will. So in praying for his will, there's times that we need to ask and seek and knock. And it's this progressive intensity. It's this progressive desperation. In the Greek, it's to keep asking, to keep seeking, to, to keep knocking. There's times in our relationship with the Lord where it appears where God is simply saying to wait. And he wants us in that time to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. There may be someone or something that you're praying for, and you've been praying for some time, and in that space you're starting to think that God doesn't hear and that God doesn't care and, and prayer is, is meaningless. No, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking upon God's door. Keep praying for that son or daughter who's walked away from the Lord. Keep praying for that unsaved family member that they would come to know Christ as their Savior. Continue to ask for God's wisdom and deliverance over a particular area of sin that we, we, we struggle with. Areas in marriage that are difficult. Difficulties with kids. Challenges that we face. Maybe there's a, a chronic illness that brings weakness in your life. Continue to bring that to the Lord. Keep, keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And God's teaching us in the midst of that. Teaching us the importance of prayer our dependency upon him, that faith to, to continue, even though when we're not seeing the results that we're, we're looking for. In verse 11, I love this. If a son asks for a bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This is normal staple food in their diet. A piece of bread. A kid comes and asks dad for a piece of bread. Really? You're hungry? You want some bread? Here's some stones. Why don't you just gnaw on those stones for, for a little while? Dad, could I please have a fish? Sea Galilee region. Tilapia. Hey, can I have a tilapia? I, I'm hungry. Nope. You don't, you don't get a fish. Here's a snake. Here's a rattlesnake for you. All right, can I have an egg? Mm, boiled egg. A boiled egg's always good. No, here's a scorpion. Well, what kind of dad does that, right? And God highlights, again, he's showing us, you're a bad example, contrasted to a really good example. We're evil, and we know how to give good gifts to our kids. This time of year is, is evidence of that, isn't it? It's, it's a joy to give gifts to your kids and bless your kids and think about ways that I can just show them the, the love of God through a, a practical gift. How much more so... Does our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Here's the principle in prayer, and it goes back to Psalms 84, and it's also in Romans chapter 8, that God's not going to withhold any good thing from those that he loves. You have a Heavenly Father that loves you, that has your best interests in mind. He's not going to withhold anything good from you. From our perspective, it may not feel that way or seem that way, but that's who our God is. He's loving, he's good, he's gracious, he's kind, and he delights in giving good things to his children. And what's highlighted here from the lips of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. In Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 7, Matthew puts it this way, that he'll give good things to those who ask, and here the good things are defined as the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples that it was actually beneficial for him to go away and not be with the disciples physically one-on-one -on -one because when he ascended to the Father, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was going to come upon the disciples. What we really need more than anything else is the Holy Spirit. Our, the Holy Spirit's our helper, our teacher. Now let's unpack this a little bit more is the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Something the blood of Jesus, the new covenant, allows. Old Testament saints, believers, they did not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Their sin had not been paid for yet. This is unique to us in the new covenant. So if the Holy Spirit's in us, the moment that we're saved, why would we need to ask for the Holy Spirit? Because we need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, we're told, be filled with the Spirit. And in the language, it's continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is part of the humility and dependency. Father, I need you. Would you give me a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, I want to follow you today. Your, your strength, your leading, your power. So as we pray, notice we have to ask. God wants us to ask. What are we missing out of in terms of our relationship with the Holy Spirit, because we haven't asked of the Father. Bring it before the Father. So you don't have an annoyed neighbor. You don't have an evil dad. You have a heavenly Father who's good that's not going to withhold good things from you as you come and ask.
In verse 14, and he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the rulers of demons. So this person was demon-possessed, preventing them from speaking. Jesus casts out the demon, and they're able to speak. And this causes the community to marvel. But some say, well, the reason he was able to cast out demons is by Beelzebub, by the power of, of Satan. It's easy to diminish, diminish the claims of Christ if you ridicule him. And that may be where you're coming from up until this point, is you're like, I don't believe that Jesus is God. I don't believe that I need to submit my life to him or trust him for salvation. And you've just found a way to dismiss him by ridiculing him. That's what a lot of people do with Christ. They start to get intimidated by the power of Christ. And it's like, well, it's just easier for me to totally ridicule Christ than to submit my life to him. Others testing him sought him, sought from him a sign from heaven. This to me is almost comical. Jesus has just cast out this demon. He's done so many miracles. We're getting closer to his crucifixion. And they're like, really? If we're going to believe in you, we need a sign. What do you guys need? Like, what sign would it take for you guys to believe? Well, maybe the resurrection? Maybe that will get you to a place that you believe? This also might be where you're coming from. If God would just give me a sign. I've talked with people over the years that I need God to do some visible sign, like move this piano, this keyboard from here to here, cause it to levitate. Then I would believe that God exists. It's like, well, wait a second. How about creation? Is creation enough for you to believe in God. God spoke and everything came into existence. God created Pike's Peak. He created you. There's no one like you. He is the one who spoke the galaxies into existence, the stars and the moon and, and the sun. Is creation not a sign of Christ? Is scripture not a sign of Christ? The Bible is amazing. As you study the Bible, there's a lot of fulfilled prophecies where God gives words to human authors that write it down, these amazing prophecies that are fulfilled. Fulfilled prophecy is an amazing sign of the validity of Jesus. The resurrection of Christ, I just mentioned it. The empty tomb, look into it. It's a historical fact. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. I suggest to you, God has given you signs. God had given this multitude signs, the question is, will we respond and will we believe? In verse 17, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Jesus answers this accusation that's being brought against him by saying, man, a house divided against itself cannot stand. If I'm casting out demons by the power of Satan, then that means Satan is divided against himself. One thing we know about darkness is darkness is not going to be divided, unfortunately. The demons are not fighting with each other. They're unified in their mission to come against Christ and to come against 
Christ's people. We need to process the words of Christ and understand that Satan is going to try to divide us. As God's people, he's going to try to divide us. And for us to say unified in Scripture, unified in Christ, to be able to extend the forgiveness that God has given to us, Satan's going to want churches in our community to divide against each other, but we're together. We're the, the people of God. In our homes, Satan's going to try to divide our house because a divided house can't stand. Married couples, Satan's going to try to divide you. A lot of times the bigger issue than the actual decision is a husband and wife staying unified. Like it's really not about which car you buy. A husband and wife may be having an argument over whether to buy a car or which car to buy. You know what the bigger issue is? Is the husband and wife being unified in, in that decision. There may be discussions with decisions with kids and Moms and dads are trying to figure out these decisions that you've got to make for kids. And, and there's a ton of them, aren't there? You know what's even more important than where you land on that specific decision? is staying unified as mom and dad. Where the kids know, hey, this is a we decision, not just a mom decision or a dad decision. You know, us kids in fallen nature, we know this too. Like divide and conquer. If I can divide mom and dad, I win. And kids in their fallenness will try to divide mom and dad as well. Satan will try to get us against our kids and get our kids against us. And we need to remember we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not a battle with your kid. It's not a battle with your spouse. It's bigger. Satan's in there and he's working and he's trying to divide our homes. And so we start to reorient our thinking to battle through spiritual weapons to pray. Say, Lord, help us to stay unified Help us to, to press in uh, together. In verse 20, But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Notice Jesus says, I'm casting out these demons with the finger of God. This is not difficult. Sometimes when we think of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, we think of God and Satan, that somehow God and Satan are equally matched. Hogwash! Satan is no match for the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And Jesus is able to cast out these demons with his finger. And he says, guys, if I'm casting out demons by God's power, then the kingdom of God has come to you. The kingdom of God is, is near to you. They've got something they've really got to deal with. Instead of simply being able to diminish Jesus by saying, well, the way he can cast out demons is through Satan's power. Now they've got to deal with the fact that this is happening through the work of God, that the kingdom of God has come upon them. Verse 21, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes, him, he takes from him all of his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. So the strong man... His goods are safe until a stronger man comes and is able to rob him, take of his spoils. Jesus is using this as an illustration. It very clearly points to the fact that Jesus is the stronger man, that he was able to come and cast out these demons and that Christ is the authority and he has the power and he has the strength. 
Verse 23, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. There's no neutral ground with Jesus. A lot of times people want to have a neutral stance with Jesus. I'm not really for him. I'm not really against him. And what does Jesus say? He who's not with me is against me. If you're not believing in Christ, following Christ, then guess what? You're against Christ. A no decision, a non-decision, is eventually a no decision. Let me say that again. A non-decision is eventually a no decision. What if someone texts you and says, hey, let's grab coffee, let's grab lunch. And you text back, hey, that sounds great. Let's do it sometime. And they go, hey, here's some dates. How about do it, da, 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 da. And you're like, hey, that sounds great. Uh, no, no, I, I, here's some dates. Do those dates work for you? Eventually, that non-decision is communicating what? I don't have time to go to coffee. I don't have time to go to lunch. And you could go through your life going, well, I'm not going to really make a decision about Jesus. Uh, I'm just okay with Jesus. No, you've got to come to a place where you understand that you're a sinner. You need a savior. And to cry out to Jesus, Jesus, save me. And choose to follow him. Invite him to be the Lord of your life. And then he invites us into his work. We get to gather with him instead of scattering Verse 24, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man and he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Jesus is teaching us it's important to flee and to follow. A person who's demon-possessed gets delivered, but they don't fill in that empty space with a relationship with Christ. Eventually, those demons are going to come back with seven more, and it's actually going to be worse than the first state. Thankfully, a relationship with Christ is more than behavior modification. It's not simply trying to get rid of sin sinful behavior but it's trusting Christ for salvation, being in relationship with him, where his light and his love fills our lives. So it's not enough to just get rid of anger and lust and drugs and abusive alcohol, because what happens so many times, if we're not filling that empty space with a relationship with Christ and God's people, is the 180 turns into a 360. You with me? It's like, here I am, I'm, I'm turning away from this sin, and then over time, I, I turn right back to it or turn to things that are, are even worse. And that's where I think that the world is really frustrated if we're not sharing Christ with them. If we're just sharing moralistic rules, hey, you need a better version of you. Aren't you kind of sick of that? It's like, what's a better version of you? Well, it's sinner 2.0. That's the reality of that. Like, I need more than a better version of me. I need a savior who died, died for my sins. And so this really shows the importance of, of turning away from sin, but turning to Christ and allowing Christ to, to fill our lives. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. Seems like there's always been a desire to try to elevate Mary. When Mary's an amazing woman of God that God used, that submitted herself to God's plan. 
But God never puts the focus on Mary, verse 28. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. No, you're blessed if you hear God's word and you, you keep it. Thankfully, we don't need Mary to be our mediator or anyone else for that reason, right? Jesus gives us direct access to him. Jesus is our mediator unto the Father. You get to go to God. You get to go have a relationship with God. And so we're thankful for Mary, but the focus is upon Christ. As we seek application this morning, let's ask the Lord to teach us to pray. We're going to stand and pray uh, together, spend a few moments praying through the Lord's Prayer together, then Billy's going to lead us in worship. But I want you to hear this. There's an amazing promise that God gives us in the Old Testament. If we, his people, God's speaking to the people of God, will humble ourselves and pray, turn from our sins, repent from our sins, that God will hear our prayer and he'll heal our land. Does our land need to be healed? I'll be honest with you, for our country, I don't see human solutions. They're just not there. We have a bigger need than what we can fix apart from God. And for us as God's people to humble ourselves regularly, consistently, for our own lives and our families, but also for our country, saying, God, would you heal our land? We're turning from our, our wicked ways. When there's been spiritual revival, God's people have been in prayer. We want to be a praying church. Every fourth Wednesday of the month, we have a night of prayer and worship. I would love for that night to be the most packed service. We have three services on the weekends. What if we could not fit all of you for our night of prayer and worship? What if on Wednesday nights, we marked our calendars and said, hey, we're going to pray. And we're going to pray together as God's people. We're going to seek his face. We're going to seek that the Lord would heal our land. So would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would teach us to pray. Give us a hunger and desire, the humility, the faith to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, take a moment just to pray that in in your own heart, to thank him that he's your dad, to acknowledge his place in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Father, there's no one like you. You're set apart. Your character, it's good. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your holiness. Is there an attribute of God that stands out? Just thank God for who he is, that attribute. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Submit your will to him. Pray for his kingdom to come. Give us this day our daily bread. What are those needs that you have today? Lift those up to the Lord.
forgive us our debts, confess to the Lord, respond to that leading of the Holy Spirit. Forgive those who are indebted to us. Who do you need to extend forgiveness to? And deliver us from temptation. Father, you know us. You know our areas of weakness, areas of sin. Would you protect us? Protect us from temptation. Protect us from the evil one. Father, we we humble ourselves in our lives, our families, as a church, and this community, or we need you. The problems are, are way bigger than we can solve. When we turn from our sin, we turn from darkness, we want to be used by you to share your love, to share the gospel, and we pray that there would be a revival that would take place that you would give us opportunities to love and to share and proclaim. Or would you wake us up? Would you be gracious to us? Or we need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.